0: This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Welcome to Shrink Chicks. I'm Emily Beerley, And I'm Jennifer Chaikin. And we're licensed marriage and family therapists and owners of The Therapy Group. We're on a mission to make therapy and therapeutic topics more relatable and accessible. So stay tuned, because in order to grow yourself, you got to know yourself. Welcome back to Season 4 of Shrink Chicks, and Happy New Year. We're so thrilled to introduce today's guest, Tori Dunlap, the amazing woman behind the social media account, her first 100K. Tori is a globally recognized personal finance educator, podcast host, social media star, and author. Her book, Financial Feminist, Overcome the Patriarchy Bullshit to Master Your Money and Build a Life You Love, hit the stands just last week, and we are so excited to hear all about it. Welcome, Tori. Thank you so
1: much for coming on Shrink Chicks. Thank you for having me. A thrill is still sent up my spine every time somebody like reads the title of my book because it hasn't happened much now. Like, verbally. And now that I'm doing more and more interviews, it's just so exciting. So thanks for having me.
0: It's an amazing, incredible title. So first, we want to just like ask you about your story. Tell us about how you got into this. Take us through the whole spiel. Sure. So I was lucky enough to have parents who were
1: committed to educating me financially. I learned how to navigate a credit card, how to save money, how to not go into debt. And I thought that that was the case for everybody. I thought, okay, everybody knows. And then I graduated college and of course realized that that wasn't the case and that I was the friend, all of my friends were coming to for advice and guidance around money. So I graduated college with degrees in organizational communication and theater in May of 2016. And then Trump, of course, gets elected not soon after that. And I, like many people, I think, thought we would be coming into a uh, country with its first woman president. And instead, I'm 22, trying to figure out how to come into adulthood and really into womanhood in a very different country than we all expected. And I started understanding in my own life that when I was financially stable, I had options. I had choices. I had the ability to... Leave situations I didn't want to be in anymore, or to donate to causes I believed in, or to start a business, or to have children, or not have children, or get married, or not get married. And all of the options that I wanted for my life opened up to me when I had my financial foundation, when I had my financial shit together. And when I was the friend that was giving the advice of, like, what is the broth IRA, how to pay off debt? And I started peeling back the onion layers of just how our society worked. I, it was clear to me that we didn't have any sort of equality for any marginalized group until we have financial equality. So I started the blog that later became Her First 100K in late 2016 on the side of my nine to five in marketing. Um, Her First 100K's origin story was my own 100K goal of trying to save 100K at 25. I hit that goal in 2019. I uh, went on a vacation to celebrate. I got the call for Good Morning America in Europe with my best friend Came home, did the interview, quit my job three weeks later, and the rest is history. We're now a multi-million dollar uh, financial education company. We have helped over three and a half million women pay off debt, save money, start investing, negotiate their salaries. And we have the book and a podcast called Financial Feminist. And it's just been absolutely crazy to see uh, not only the growth, but also the impact that we've been able to have. And it's what I believe I was put on this earth to do is fight for women's financial rights.
2: You know, one of the things we had talked about before we pushed record here today was that Jen and I said, you know, when we sit and meet with people, we'll meet with people for years and years and years, and they'll talk about shame in their life, abuse trauma, um, uh, you know, relationship issues, family of origin issues. And we'll be working with someone for years. And finally, they'll talk about credit card debt, that there is something so prevalent and so deep about financial shame. And you I mean, I, I first of all, I love that you like recognized your family of origin story, that your parents helped you do this, that yeah. if we do not send it down through generations, the intergenerational impact of not talking about finances specifically for women. And I had this all the time. One of the things we talk about a lot is being couples therapists, is our job isn't always to help people stay together. Often it's to help people get divorced in really healthy ways. And the biggest proponent for many women of staying in marriages is when they've made the decision to be a stay-at-home mom or their partner controlled the finances. Yep. 99% of domestic
1: violence cases have some sort of financial abuse tied to them. And that is the biggest reason why even in a uh, not abusive Relationship, but just not not your favorite relationship. It's the reason that people specifically women can't get out is they don't have their own money. They don't have access to their own money or they cannot afford something like their own apartment, right? Even my friends in you know, who are living in Seattle and Seattle's pretty expensive, they've told me like, yeah, I mean, our relationship isn't great. but like, I can't afford a one bedroom apartment on my own. So I'm just gonna stay. Right. Which is, first of all, so tragic. That's yeah. not how we want to live our lives. <laughs> mm-hmm. But two tells me that, again, when you have money, you have choices. Right. Yeah. And I tell a, a, the whole introduction of my book. I tell a story about me quitting a really toxic job. I quit my first job to take this job and thought it was going to solve all my problems because I negotiated a twenty thousand dollar raise from what they wanted to pay me. And I, I literally thought to myself, I was twenty three, twenty four going like, OK, but, you know, This isn't probably the best job, but the money will be worth it. And of course it wasn't. And after about 10 weeks of like crying myself to sleep, anxiety spiking, just a really bad work environment, I quit my job without another one lined up. And then I spent the next three months unemployed. But truly, that was one of the best decisions I have ever made. And I was able to make that decision in the first place because I had money. I had an emergency fund. I could live off my savings for a period of time while I sought out something better and something more healthy. And that's just the feeling I want for every woman. I don't need us to all have like, you know, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg amount of money, because frankly, that means we probably exploited somebody, right? Like, I don't want to be a billionaire. I just want to have enough money. And I want every woman to have enough money that she gets to be in rooms she wants to be in rather than rooms she's forced to be in Mm. or that she feels she can't get out of.
0: Mhm. It's so interesting. You know, I think that what you're so essentially what you're saying is like you're giving people, you're allowing people to be able to create their own choices, to make their own choices, to not be stuck in something because of financial reasons. And it sounds like a, a huge step to that too is just the communication around finances, just like oh, understand yeah. understanding how to talk about it. And it just sounds like you're opening up such a door to be able to understand ourselves and like where kind of our financial scripts or understanding underpinnings have come from. And to be able to communicate around it. Because I think that the shame that we have developed leads to us not communicating about it. So I love that you're oh, yeah. opening up this space to allow us to talk about it too.
1: You don't realize this, but you're just giving me softballs and I appreciate it. <laughs> you, both, both of you, I think will appreciate this more than anybody. So when I first started coaching, because that's how I started, is I started private money coaching. I'm all on actionable advice. I hate inspiration porn. This idea of like, you go to a conference and you listen to the keynote speaker and they're like, dream your big dreams. And you're like, <laughs> yes, I can dream my big dreams. And then you leave and you're like, I have no idea how the fuck to dream those dreams. They, they told me nothing. They just hyped me up and left me for dead. Right. And like, that's not what I do. So I was diving into actionable advice with them because one, I could see they were struggling. And two, I had the solution. I was like, okay, here's how to budget. Here's how to invest. Here's all of those things. And it was great for a while. But then what would happen is they would come back to me, let's give it three months, six months, a year, and they would go, basically, I like I relaxed, right? Like, <laughs> I went back into my old patterns, I emotionally spent, I didn't spend according to my values, or I went into debt again. And I realized then, you can't just go to the how to create a budget without understanding your financial trauma. And very few financial experts actually do this. So the entire first chapter of my book is called The Emotions of Money. It is the longest chapter of the book by far, and it is the first chapter for a reason, because I can't tell you all of the things, because I do, I do eventually tell you all of the things, but I can't walk you through that process until you understand what sort of narratives have you believed about money that have been ingrained in you since you were a kid? Money as scarce or evil, or rather a source of joy and abundance and ease. I think for the vast majority of us, it is shame, guilt, uh, fear, scarcity, all of those things. And this is not only an individual problem, but I would argue much bigger. This is a systemic problem, right? The whole talking about money is taboo narrative. You were talking about this before of like, we are more likely to have any other uncomfortable conversation. This is statistically proven than we are about money. We'll talk about sex, death, politics, religion before we will talk about money. And we have been told that that is the polite thing to do is avoid talking about money. But really, when we don't talk about money, we keep ourselves underpaid and overworked. And that is my not so conspiracy conspiracy theory that the narrative talking about money is taboo is perpetuated by the patriarchy to keep you underpaid and overworked, right? Because if you don't talk about money, you have no idea what's happening. The other narrative I hear specifically with women is that the pursuit of wealth is bad or wrong. That, like, it is evil to want more money because money is inherently bad. Money is a stack of government-issued paper. It has no moral value. It is not inherently good or bad. Now, what you do with it has some sort of moral value, right? There's plenty of people out there spending money in really corrupt, terrible ways. There's also people doing really cool things with money. And so we are told, though, by society, especially as women, and we ingrain it in ourselves that the pursuit of wealth is wrong or bad. And then we wonder why we're financially struggling. Again, if the patriarchy tells you don't pursue wealth because it's morally corrupt, you won't do it. And then you're left struggling. Mm. And I think, especially for the way we talk about money comparatively with men, we applaud men's pursuit of wealth. We, we love watching men pursue wealth. We encourage it. We promote it. In a way that we just don't for women. So I really appreciate you saying that, and I—that's literally why I spend the entire first chapter just talking about like, what sort of trauma are you carrying about money? What sort of money memories do you have that are that are ingrained in you at a very young age? And then what is society constantly telling you about money, about its inherent value, and about the way you have to navigate the world financially?
0: We are so excited to share our newest sponsor with you all, Hungry Root. Hungry Root is the easiest way to get fresh, high-quality groceries and simple, healthy recipes delivered to your door. The team at Hungry Root just sent me a new box full of amazing stuff. It was literally like I was opening a present, going through it, seeing what was inside, and trying everything was just so thrilling. In my Hungry Root box was chicken salad, veggies, dumplings, shakes, cookies, and so much more. My favorite thing I tried was the drumroll donuts. I highly recommend them. The ordering process could not have been more simple you take a fun short quiz and hungry root will get to know your personal health goals what you like to eat the kitchen appliances you use and more then they'll build you a personalized cart with all of your grocery needs for the week and give you delicious recipe recommendations to put those groceries to good use hungry root will recommend recipes and groceries based on your personal tastes, but each order is fully customizable take their suggestions or choose anything you want they've got fresh produce high quality meat and seafood pantry staples health Snacks, sweets, ready to eat meals, and much more. Hungry Root has made my daily meal prep so much easier. The mental load of grocery shopping is exhausting, and Hungry Root gives me back that mental energy. Right now, Hungry Root is offering Shrink Chicks listeners 40% off your first delivery and free veggies for life. Just go to hungryroot.com/shrinkchicks to get 40% off your first delivery and get your free veggies. That's hungryroot.com/shrinkchicks. Don't forget to use our link so they know we sent you. When bloggers or influencers post their outfit links nine times out of 10, I click on it and immediately exit because the price is bananas. It wasn't until recently that I clicked on something expecting it to be the usual out of my price range sweater and it was under $60 at Quince. Quince has become my ultimate destination for luxury essentials that won't break the bank let me tell you about some of the gems I found at Quince from their 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters starting at just $50 to their washable silk tops and dresses organic cotton sweaters and stunning 14 karat gold jewelry Quince offers a range of high-quality items at prices that are truly within reach and here's the best part all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands yes you heard that right by partnering directly with top factories Quince cuts out the middleman passing the savings on to us. I recently got my hands on one of their washable silk tops and let me tell you, it has become a staple in my wardrobe. Not only is it incredibly versatile, I've worn it to work out with friends and even dressed it up for a date night, but the quality is unmatched. Give yourself the luxury you deserve with Quince. Go to quince.com slash shrinkchicks for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quinc slash chicks to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com/slash/shrinkchecks,
2: and let's dive into a listener question because something that somebody wrote in that I would love to get to that I think is so important. But I think so many people get really paralyzed around talking about money, specifically if they have um, some type of debt. Right, most of us have student loans. Unfortunately, many people have credit card debts because they got them at 18 years old with absolutely no education around them. That is not a personal Right. So personal failure. Once again, the systemic issues with that. We're systemic therapists. We love all of this. So what do you think as you talk about this? um, And first of all, now you you have to go buy Tori's book. Here is the reminder to get all of the information. You read the book. But still, we have we're taking her for a little bit. How to really combat shame around finances without defaulting to ignoring out of panic, because that's what a lot of us do is we freeze.
1: Yeah, again. I'm going to take a shot every time I say it, but I cover it intensely in the book because shame is the number one like response of like, how do you feel about money? I feel shame or guilt, right? I don't have to tell you this as therapist, but shame is the one human emotion that is not helpful. It does not help. It is not productive. Even these like messier emotions that we would label as negative anger, right? Fear can in some ways protect you, right? Like those are productive emotions um shame is the one emotion that does not help you at all. Um and never helps you. The fun thing, <laughs> and I mean fun in quotes, the fun thing about um your upbringing around money is that the vast majority of your money habits or the way you view money will be cemented by <laughs> age 7. <laughs> so by second grade, which is so early, by second wow. grade, you will have already a viewpoint around money. And of course that viewpoint Is based on what's around you, your parents, your guardians, whoever's raising you. So, we walk you through a practice in the book of identifying the first time you can remember thinking about money. We call it your first money memory. What is the first time you remember considering money? For me, it was like I'm saving money in an Altoids tin to go see Annie the musical because I'm a theater nerd, right? Like, my mom was like, if you want a ticket to this, you have to save your money. And that taught me, cool, if I want something, I have to save for it. I think for most people, though, that money memory is more negative, right? It's I realized that we just didn't have enough money as a family or I watched my parents fight over money. Understanding just how far back this shit goes should hopefully give you so much grace and mercy and understanding for yourself. We come out of the womb expecting to be good at money in a way that we don't for anything else. Like I, I wasn't born speaking fluent Italian or knowing how to play the tuba. Yet I just expect myself to be a financial expert and to navigate this system and to be quote unquote good with money. Just like anything, you're going to be bad at it for a period of time. If you gave me a pair of roller skates and you asked me to go skate around my neighborhood, it's not going to go well. But after five times, it's going to go better, Right. And after 10 times, it's going to go even better than that. But I am going to fall and skin my knee for a long time. And I think offering yourself that grace, mercy, and understanding that no one's good at this. No one's teaching us this. And so much of how you're viewing money has been ingrained in you for a very long time. And unless you do something about it, it's not going to change. That should offer you a lot. Yeah, like a permission slip to be bad at it for a while. And that's okay.
0: And helps you, you know, the way that you're, you're speaking about it, it also helps you be able to combat that shame around it, to be able to develop compassion for yourself, to say, listen, you know, this is something I was taught. It was around me. This is what I picked up. But the, the statistic that it's ingrained in us by seven is wild. It's crazy. That is so early. And if you think about it, you know, as a parent, what parents are talking to their children about money before seven years old? Or showing right? them, there a- right? Because right. I have plenty of clients
1: who are like, my parents were telling me don't over- overspend on credit cards. And then I literally watched them like freeze their credit card in a block of ice right. so they didn't overspend. Like right. it's It's not just, of course, saying what you're saying, it's what yeah. you're doing. And I would argue that makes a way bigger impact. The other thing too is that when you have gone to seek uh if anybody has gone to seek financial advice or guidance, especially around debt, um the people you've probably gone to Dave Ramsey, <laughs> he bring named, like are actively telling you well are actively <laughs> telling you that it is your fault they're gaslighting the hell out of you, right They're saying like if you have debt, you are a bad person like that's basically the narrative like if you have debt, you fucked up. it's your fault, and it's like. Most debt is necessary to our society. Like, if you want to get a college degree, which we're told is the quote-unquote right thing to do, you have to take out debt. If you want to buy a house, which we're again told is the right thing to do, you have to take on debt. Debt is actually like the way a lot of people Mm -hmm. level their lives up financially. Yes, Yes. And then there's other debt that is worse, but it doesn't mean you're a bad person, right? Credit card debt, is you're probably in credit card debt. This is actually the number one reason women go into debt. They don't understand how a loan works, and that's not because we're stupid. Of course not. It's because no one teaches us, and the predatory companies who want you to take out, to take on more debt, they're not teaching you how debt works because you make they make more money off of you if they don't teach you. So of course you're confused, and the very people you've gone to for advice and guidance. Have them shamed you and also sold you mm-hmm. their product mm-hmm. out of that shame. <laughs> I call Dave Ramsey the diet for yeah. personal finance for that reason. <laughs> he tells you, he like yells insults at you and tells you to lose weight and then offers <laughs> you the like tummy tea.
2: And then when you stop taking the tummy tea because you shit everywhere, it's your fault and your failure. <laughs> right. <laughs> Thank you. And that's the that's the crazy
1: thing. Right. As of course, this isn't your fault. Right. Cue like the Robin Williams gif. This is not your fault. But like, truly, (laughs) like this isn't your fault. And even if you made a mistake, shaming yourself is not going to help and find people. I like to think I'm one of these people. There's plenty of us out there who are giving you advice That is shame and judgment free that acknowledges systemic oppression, which is unfortunately somehow a novel thing in personal finance. There's plenty of people who just are like, racism has nothing to do with personal (laughs) finance. And I'm like, you want to bet, motherfucker? Like, (laughs) it's completely involved. So and I think the other thing, again, is like when we're trying to navigate money and we're trying to, you know, understand how all of this works. We have what we call the ostrich effect, which is we bury our head in the sand and we act like our problems don't exist. And just like, again, learning anything new, you have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. It's not going to be pretty for a period of time. Anytime you learn something new, you're going to suck at it for a while. Anytime you're overcoming some sort of trauma, it's not going to feel comfy. Like It's just not. And that is not a reason to not dig in and do the work. Because ultimately your life is going to be much better because of it. And that, by the way, is the definition of self-care. Self-care has become commodified. It's become like commercialized under capitalism. And Buy a can't be a is bomb. face masks. Yeah, literally. <laughs> that is this self-soothing thing action, not self-care. I'm on a soapbox right now, but I'll wrap it up in a second. You love this. In a bathroom. keep going. Keep going. Um, keep so going. <laughs> But the thing about self-soothing is that's it's the thing you do after a hard day at work, right? It's the thing you do after a hard month, year, life, whatever. But like you do it in the moment to make yourself feel better. Self-care is the shit that you do that you know will make future use life easier even if right now it sucks. Going to therapy, perfect <laughs> example. Having that conversation with a friend that you've been putting off for a month, right? But you're like, that thing you said a month ago really hurt my feelings and we need to talk about it. Necessary self care things, and of course that includes looking at your money.
2: Mm. Okay, so we have to get into some (laughs) listener questions. Although I could fucking listen to you on a soapbox all day. Yeah, like I I want to just like you in my house and have you just soapbox it to me. (laughs) But (laughs) somebody wrote in how to break free from generational scarcity conditioning and poverty mindset. Besides go to therapy with someone who has a understanding with bad finances, (laughs) because it's generational. It is.
1: This is a messy answer and it's going to sound like a non-answer, but this is the truthful answer that unfortunately very few people will give you. If you're honest to God living paycheck to paycheck and you are in poverty, there is nothing, I I shouldn't say nothing, there's very little that I can say or that any finance expert can say that will actually make your life better. This is where policy change and uh, community support and that has to come in. That has to come into play. And this is what we talk about with how we define financial feminism is it's this idea of doing everything you can to better your own situation, put on your oxygen mask first. And then when you're taking care of putting oxygen masks on other people, helping other people, or even creating the oxygen masks in the first place, Mm -hmm. creating Mm -hmm. a society and a system that does give everybody an oxygen mask. So if you're honest to God, living paycheck to paycheck. Like you can't and we're not talking like you still have a Netflix account, like honestly living paycheck yeah. to paycheck. Um, there's unfortunately little guidance that I can give you. And that fucking sucks. And it's something that I have thought about a lot of like, then why do my work at all? So it has to come with us voting and protesting and making the change that we want to see. In terms of overcoming the trauma, one, see a therapist if you can. Um, Two, like we were talking about before. In my book, I discuss all of the narratives that you have been believing about money or that you've been told about money. And uh, I have journaling prompts and homework exercises in every chapter of the book. And I think one of the most transformational, powerful things you can do is, again, sit in that discomfort for a while. What sort of narratives have I been believing about money? What do I inherently believe people with money look like? what? Who are they as like people what is, what is the value of money? Because for me, money and I have a great relationship and money is a tool to build the life that I love. It is not the barrier. It is not the thing I have to overcome. Money adjusts to me, not the other way around. And so I think that if you can sit in that discomfort, some really powerful things are going to start to shift. And then not just being a passive observer. I mean, we have a pretty big now community at Her First 100K. And one of the things I always request of them is it's so easy with social media or with podcasts to just be like, okay, cool, that was fun. And then to never engage with it again or to never actually use it. And you have to take the advice and guidance or the aha moments that you have and actually apply them as opposed to just being like, that was a fun time. Uh, cool, right? You have to engage with that and be an active consumer rather than just a passive consumer. So use the guidance to actually make an impact on yourselves and your community.
0: Mm-hmm. Skeptical about custom beauty, I get it. My feet is flooded with customize this and personalize that, all promising to fix my fine lines and thinning hair. But when Prose says custom, they actually mean it. It's no gimmick. Your formula couldn't exist without you. Their in-depth consultation analyzes over 80 factors for a complete view of your life and beauty goals. They get personal. Prose covers everything from your concerns to your age, exercise, and stress levels in order to uncover what's impacting your hair and skin health. They asked me about my hair loss being genetic in my family, how long it takes for my hair to get oily after a wash, what products and tools I use to style my hair, and even my zip code to understand how the water hardness, UV index, and cold dry winter in Philly might be impacting me. Next, they recommended a full routine of truly personalized products, which were only produced after I placed my order. Nothing pre-mixed, nothing off the shelf. Since I switched to pros, I've noticed my hair is so much softer, shinier, and fuller. I keep getting asked if I got a blowout from the salon. But don't just take my word for it in a third-party double-bind dermatologist-supervised clinical controlled study, AKA the gold standard in research studies, Pros prove that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days, or get your money back. Pros is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering my listeners an exclusive trial offer, so you can see the difference custom care can make. 50% off your first subscription order at Pros.com/ShrinkChicks. That's P-R-O-S-E.com/ShrinkChicks for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com/ShrinkChicks shrink checks say goodbye to the cheap razor era my friends it's time to treat your body to the premium shave it deserves with athena club em and i just got back from an amazing trip to the caribbean to celebrate our 10-year anniversary of our practice the therapy group and in haste of packing because yours truly is a packing procrastinator i forgot my athena club razor at home and had to resort to using a subpar flimsy razor that left my skin feeling anything but smooth a mistake i will never make again the athena club hype is real the shave is seriously the smoothest I've ever experienced and that is especially evident after having to use another razor in its absence. Aside from the amazing smoothest, let me tell you why Athena Club's razor kit is a must have in your self-care routine. First off, can we talk about the price? At just $10, it's an absolute steal. But don't let the price fool you. This razor packs a serious punch. It comes with a beautifully made ergonomic handle and two super sharp razor heads that deliver an incredibly smooth shave every time. Plus with the included magnetic hook storage is a breeze no more dealing with goopy blades or unexpected midnight shower crashing sound surprises and the quality of the shave is top notch those five precision engineer blades glide effortlessly leaving you a silky smooth skin every time plus the water activated serum and built-in skin guards ensure a comfortable irritation free shave are you ready to upgrade your shaving experience switch to the best razor on the market and show your skin you care with Athena Club head over to athenaclub.com to try their award Award-winning razor and body products, and get 20% off your first purchase with code ShrinkChicks at checkout. You can also find Athena Club razors at your local Target store. Trust me, you won't look back. Happy shaving! First of all, I love that it, this so much aligns with everything that we talk about on the podcast with kind of this financial eye. And so the thing that keeps coming up, and it's also a listener question, is that when you start to change something internally, you start to make changes around your financial mindset. But there's still people in your life, whether it's family, whether it's a romantic relationship, friends who are holding on to maybe the old mindset or coming into a relationship uh, with a different financial mindset. Can you speak to that at all? And the communication around that, you know, what happens in those relationships? How does that play a role?
1: Oh, again, I think as therapists, you guys might be more qualified to take this question. But I i mean, for me, it's like you have to figure out or <laughs> I'm going nuclear here. Are these relationships <laughs> like worth keeping? Because sometimes when you're in a friendship or a partnership and this person is is dragging you down financially, and I'm not just talking like they don't have money, right? That's not it. It's like they have really negative beliefs about money and are not willing to work on them. They are maybe mooching off of you to the point where it's like, this is not healthy. Um, or they just, they are, they are demanding that you play small. You have to decide if if that is an environment that you thrive in. And I would argue no one thrives in that kind of environment. So um, if it is to that point, I would argue that you need to take care of yourself. Because again, if we're doing oxygen mask finances, you need to put your oxygen mask on first before helping others. In terms of the more like, again, less nuclear, more like day-to-day frustrations of money. One of the things that I counsel people on is one, just again, talking about money, having as transparent conversations as you feel comfortable with. And that starts with you being vulnerable first. I have a feeling that when you're vulnerable first and you share something, the other person's floodgates are going to open because they want to talk about money too. They just don't know how to bring it up with you. So all you can do is say something like, you know what? I'm really struggling with debt. Can you just listen to me to rant about it for a while, right? Or, hey, I got a promotion at work. Can we go out for drinks? Because I would love to celebrate, right? It starts with you being vulnerable first. The second thing is specifically with partnerships, if you're managing money in a relationship, I even said it before, we want to use money as a tool to build the life that you love. And if you're building a life with another person, it is how do we use money as a tool to build a life that we love? And again, rather than seeing money as the thing that's keeping you from doing the things you like to do, using money as a tool to get you there. So this can look like, I know we love to travel. Uh, we want to travel internationally once every year. How do we use money as a tool to get there? Okay, we are starting to consider starting a family in the next couple years. How do we use money as a tool to have a child? How do we use money as a tool to buy a house? How do we use money as a tool to retire early, right? And then it's coming from a place of again, abundance, but also like I I just want to see money as the resource to make my life as kick-ass as possible. Mm -hmm. It's not, again, the barrier. It's not the reason I can't do it. It's actually the reason I can. And I'm going to figure out how to use money as a tool to get me there. And if you're managing money with somebody else in your life, that's the question. It's coming from a place of joy and excitement rather than like, we don't have enough money to do that. So I think that that's one way to navigate money, especially in romantic relationships. And just talking about money as much as you can with everybody in your life and being vulnerable first, I think is gonna unlock a lot of really cool conversations.
2: So Jen and I run a business together. Jen and I come from very different back like we come from not super different of how much our parents had growing up, but the way that our parents talked about money, completely fucking different. Mm. So as we entered into a business together, it was a very different idea about how do we use money. We also were I was 20 fucking two. Um no, it's 24. I'm sorry, it's 24. We started our business and we did it based on credit cards um because we didn't know shit about loans it worked out great for us wouldn't recommend it necessarily for most people but (laughs) we were very young and didn't have access one of the things we've known now that our business has grown and grown and grown we have access to a lot more money people will give us all of a sudden (laughs) and it's this insane thing that one we were sitting here thinking like oh my god we have access to all this money and yet we feel uncomfortable with it because we didn't feel like anytime we even, you know, every time we've talked to the bank, the way they talk down one down to you as a female business and two sort of like basically tell you you're a fucking idiot.
1: This happened to me. Actually, I don't know if I've told this story publicly. I went to the bank this summer to withdraw like the money for taxes. <laughs> and I've been very <laughs> uh, transparent about how much money we made in 2021. We made 3.4 million dollars in revenue, which was incredible. And then As you can imagine, that tax payment was a lot. (laughs) It was a lot. It was a $1 million tax payment. And like, Mm -hmm. that's a whole other conversation about the fact that I pay more in certain taxes than Jeff Bezos does, (laughs) but it's a conversation for another time. So when I was at the bank, and of course you have to bring like, uh, for that amount of money, you got to bring like three forms of ID, right? They have to like, it's going to take a while. You're going to be there for like 45 minutes because they have to check and Mm -hmm. make sure. A uh, male teller about halfway through this process that I hadn't worked with came and sat down and he starts talking to me and he goes, so I see her withdrawing a lot of money. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and he goes, oh, you own your own business? And I'm like, uh-huh. And he's like, what does your business do? Like, and it's like, it's this novel thing. Like he's looking at Barbie and like Barbie drives her own car and she's successful. Like, oh my goodness. And I'm like, I'm a financial educator for women. And he goes, Oh, that's so interesting. Well, maybe you could give me some financial advice. And I'm just like, it's it got to the point where I literally was just giving him one word answers. And then he starts asking me more about my business, like how much does your business make? Like, what is this? And I go, Do you need this for the withdrawal? Or are you just asking me questions? And he was like, Oh, um, no, I mean this isn't official no, um, okay, I'll I'll go I'll go get the money. <laughs> I just stonewalled it because I was like, one, I have no patience for this. Like, cute little, (laughs) cute little 20 something year old with her cute little business. And then two, when he realizes, oh, shit, she's withdrawing this amount of money and it's her business. Oh, I'm going to try to pick her brain and and figure out how she's making all of this money. May have been a daddy's money husband's money scenario he may have been looking at me like that but it was just so funny and the amount of women who have come to me and said i went into a financial advisor's office with my husband or my male partner and they only spoke to him or i couldn't get funding right and we know as uh, as white women this is even worse for women of color of i think three percent of vc funding goes to women-owned businesses even less if you're a woman of color owned business like we are not again. The society is not ready for women having money. It does not like it. It does not encourage it. And when it happens, it is very uncomfortable. To the point where they're, again, demanding you play small. And if you have the audacity to play big, they are trying to cut you down to size constantly. And I don't necessarily blame this teller, right? I just think... He had a lot of internalized misogyny and we're shocked that a woman could have this amount of money or that could yeah. run a business that was that successful. And
2: that's what we have to remember it's so deep in front of people. We had uh, we opened up a new brick and uh, mortar location in, in uh, Philadelphia this past year. Cool. My husband, who is the facilities manager of our business, Hang Stuff, The uh, our contractor says to Jen, well, do you need to call Aaron, who's my husband, do you need to call Aaron and make sure that this amount is OK for you to spend? I was like.
0: You know it's our <laughs> business, right? <laughs> they
2: automatically sue my no. husband it had who's a stay at home dad happens. and then works for us was the person signing the tracks,
0: a hundred no. percent. Happens on the <laughs> ha- so even <laughs> Even in the smallest, the smallest way is like if me and my husband go out to dinner and I will be the one handing the credit card, they hand it back to my husband. He he, he
1: knows, obviously, he's dating like the biggest feminist ever. And obviously he knows like we're going to have to have conversations about it all the time. But we were at like (laughs) Din Tai Fung like last month. And of course, you know, credit card, I or the, you know, it's time to pay. They put the bill in front of him and he just looks down and looks back up at me like, oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: And I'm like, hand
1: it to me, hand it to me, hand it to me. You you (laughs) do not take it back. I'm going to put my card down and it's going to stay in front of me because like I was taking him out to dinner and it was just like, oh yeah, I was so (laughs) mad. And he knew too. He was like, they put it in front of me and I was like,
2: oh, I'm well aware. Like I, yep. It all happens. The time. All this and the this time. thing is so great. People don't mean to do it, right? That no, bank no, teller are bad that peaches, people. They're like, w- it, they're, they're yes. a waitstaff in the middle of a busy day. Yeah, I'm like, whatever. It's right. so great. But what it also does, though, is makes it feel like I can't walk into a bank and have hard conversations or walk in to do these things, right? What it takes away is our voice when it's so deep down like that.
1: Well, and the and the emotional labor of it too, of just like, okay, now I have to navigate this bank teller who was like with bells on just being like what's your business what is this about and I'm like I'm just here to get some money I don't need to prove to you my worthiness of having this money or of running this business I'm just here to get my one million dollar check (laughs) to send to the goddamn IRS like that's why I'm here so yeah I think it's so interesting and again we're coming all of us are coming from a place of privilege of having money and having businesses This is even more complicated and more nuanced if you are trying to navigate money still. And again, you're being gaslit or you're being told, like, again, you're not deserving of money. If you're if you have the audacity to ask for a raise at work, you might be uh, being told. Why are you not grateful for your opportunities? Why aren't you just why are not you grateful for what you have? Right. Or you're labeled a bitch for asking for more. Mm -hmm. And it's like, this is why we have to change society and the systemic issues around money, not just at the individual level. I talk about this in the book as well, but like 20% of personal finances are your personal choices and 80% is systemic. 20% is, okay, how can I work to pay off debt and how can I navigate budgeting And how can I spend according to my values? And the other 80 percent is women's right to choose paid family leave or lack thereof uh, racism, sexism, ableism, homophobia, all of the rest of it. Right. And um, we don't have that conversation when it comes to money because it's uncomfortable and because,
2: frankly, no one has the solution Mm -hmm. except like burn it all to the ground. (laughs) (laughs) which I still like that option, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, part of me is interested in that, but okay, Tori, before we move on to calling BS top two, so let's say we work through our, um, some of the uh, emotions around money. We, we reread chapter one of your book, 10 million times. We get it. We're ready to fucking go. We've talked to people in our life. Now I'm ready to make some changes Two best piece of advice for being smart with money in general.
1: Yep. Number one, automate everything automate your bills, automate your savings. This is a thing that is such a missed opportunity for the vast majority of people. You can set up an automatic transfer from your checking account to your savings account that happens on autopilot without you having to think about it. It's what we call in the industry paying yourself first. It's like you're another bill, right? And you're just setting aside money to save when you get money or on like the first of the month rather than the end of the month when you don't have any money anymore. And you're like, where the fuck did my money go? So setting aside that automatic transfer is huge. And if you're listening, this is literally something you can go do. I mean, even listening to the episode, you can log into your online bank and say, okay, I want X percent of money or $500 once a month transferred from my checking account to my savings account. And even if all you've got is 20 bucks a month, that is fantastic. You are building wealth, even if it's slowly. And two, you're setting up, up those habits so that when you do have access to more money, you are already comfortable with the act of saving, you've already built that muscle. So that's the first thing: is automate everything, especially your savings. Okay. Two, the vast majority of women are not investing at the same rates men are. They're either not investing at all, or they're waiting to start investing because of all of the narratives we believe about investing. Investing's risky or gambling. Investing's not for us. I need a bunch of money to invest. Um, I'm scared of making a mistake, and if I fuck everything up, then I lose all my money. Right? These are not true. These are patriarchal narratives meant to keep you from investing because investing is your best form of wealth building. We have an entire chapter in the book on investing, but really the biggest thing is you have to get started. There are very few like catastrophically wrong financial decisions, like truly there are. The biggest like wrong decision when it comes to investing is making no decision. We see this with women, this analysis paralysis of like, I need to be an investing expert. I need to know everything about it. And I don't have time to do that now. So I'll do it in six months. And then six months comes across and you're like, I I don't have time now. So I'll put it off. Every day you put off investing, you lose money. And that's not fear mongering. That's like literal mathematical fact. You lose money every day. You're not investing. So. Overcome that hump to the best of your ability. I'm here to guide you. There's others that are here to guide you, but you need to start investing rather than just like keeping all of your money in a checking or savings account.
2: If you have debt do you need to wait to pay off all your debts before you invest? Great question. Because a lot of people, because of Voldemort, has uh, have a misunderstanding. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. have people that said until it is Voldemort. It is 100. It, yeah, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. So it's again, I explain this more in
1: the book. Over or under 7% is kind of the magical thing, because 7 to 8% is what you can expect in the stock market. So if your debt is higher than 7% in interest, this is all credit cards, right? You need to pay that off before you start investing, because you are losing more money by being in debt than you could be making elsewhere. But if it's under 7%, which I think is most people's debt, like student loans is typically under 7%, mortgages, car loans, start investing first. Prioritized investing. Mm-hmm. Because again, you can be making more money by investing than you're losing by being in debt. And student loans are typically going to take you a longer time to pay off because they're a larger balance or a mortgage, right? And we don't want you to waste those valuable years being like, okay, I have a 30-year mortgage. I will wait 30 years until I start investing. Well, now you're like retirement age and you have nothing saved for retirement. That's why Dave Ramsey's advice is such bullshit. So... If it's under 7% in interest, go ahead and start investing, especially through a retirement account like the 401k or an IRA.
2: Perfect. All right. Well, I do feel like the whole episode was calling bullshit, but as you know, with every guest that comes (laughs) on the show, we have a segment (laughs) called Calling BS. Tori, will you call some BS in your industry today? (laughs) My entire brand is calling BS. that's your whole thing. (laughs) I call BS on Dave Ramsey. I call BS
1: on um, shame and judgment uh, based personal finance advice. I call bullshit on the bootstraps narrative and all these narratives that tell you that the reason you're not rich is because you don't work hard enough. That's not true. It's systemic oppression. And I call BS on a system that is not comfortable with women having money. I call utter BS on a system that allows men to pursue wealth unabashedly, but then punishes women for doing so. And the answer isn't women be like men, right? Like, that's not the answer. The answer is to have a more equitable society that uh, allows women's pursuit of wealth to not be a bad or wrong thing, but also requires men to be as altruistic as we make women be. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. if men were just a little teeny bit less selfish and less egotistical, I think we would have less wars. I think we would have way less billionaires. And I think everything would be slightly better. So... That's my calling bullshit.
0: (laughs) Oh, my God. Tori, this has been such a phenomenal (laughs) conversation. We cannot thank you enough. I know you helped us. I know, you know, we were so excited for this conversation. You have probably helped so many of our listeners. And go get her book immediately. It is in stores. We are so excited. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, you think it would be helpful for a friend, feel free to send it on over. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe and follow on Apple Podcasts. Um, If you are looking for a therapist, you can reach out to us at thetherapygroup.com come on over. If you are located in the states of Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, uh, California, Massachusetts, Florida, Delaware, um, if you want to come in person, we have a Philadelphia location. We have a Westchester location. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you as always. And never forget to grow yourself. You got to know yourself. We'll see you next week on Trick Chicks.